How do I pronounce your last name? Uh, Bruhog. Bruhog. All right, Garrett Bruhog. What's going yeah, on, man? Europe, European. Yeah. Uh, yeah, dude, you just said so. You're you're in New York during the, yeah for uh, for all future listeners. It's uh it's today the twenty fourth, March twenty fourth, twenty twenty. We're in full quarantine, and you are in New York, so you got the you're at the you got the worst of it. Yeah, luckily I'm not in New York City. Yeah, uh, we're in I'm in uh, Rochester, New York, all which right. is I'm doing my PhD here at the University of Rochester, focused on uh, fusion and high-energy density physics here at the U of R, we have the largest laser of any university. And so we use that to set off essentially tiny hydrogen bombs. With it. So Casual, but, Casually right drop now, that. We're, uh, we are just working from home and planning the future. Yeah. Uh, shots canceled for yeah. right now. Yeah. That's insane. That's, yeah. It's, yeah, uh, normally... Yeah, the last couple of guests have come on, you know, it doesn't matter who I've had on, the conversation eventually leads to coronavirus. Like, it doesn't matter what, it's just, but we've talked about coronavirus, yeah, we've talked about coronavirus nonstop for the last couple episodes, so I'm kind of, kind of covid it out, but more importantly, you're the only person that, what you do is, I don't give a shit about coronavirus, it's far more interesting, you're setting off tiny hydrogen bombs, you guys got a little cold war going on in there. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it is actually really related to it. So I don't really know what you want me to dive into. I can kind of whatever go into what wanna. fusion is or what. Yeah, whatever you want to dive into, man. This is this is Garrett Cast. I'm a guest on Garrett Cast today. It's yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. What is let's even from? I mean, I know like, I know the difference between like fission and fusion. I just from like Cold War weaponry. Fusion, fission is atomic bomb. Fusion's hydrogen bomb. Fusion's what powers the sun. Fission's breaking. Fusion's putting together. All I know is, even as someone with a biology degree who's completely not related to anything that you're doing, I've, you know, who hasn't heard like the, the buzzword like sustainable fusion or cold fusion, like that is, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, so. Uh, so I did my undergrad in nuclear engineering. I, I actually was a reactor operator at the the fission reactor we had on campus, but I was very interested in fusion, and uh, that's why I'm now here in Rochester, and. The fission is great. Fission is going to, if anything's going to save our asses from climate change, it's going to be fission. But fusion is interesting for me just because there's so many cool problems. It's mm. so hot. Fission is kind of cheating. Like yeah. if you, I always like to joke that fission is the only proof that there may be a God because that's just ridiculous. Like it's way easy. Um, fusion is the, the right level of hard. We have yeah. to take these. You know, Adam, the, luckily the fuel is really common, but you take the fuel and you have to get it just unbelievably hot. So hot that temperature doesn't make sense. Like I can tell you the number in Fahrenheit, Celsius, Kelvin, and it'll be close enough. And you got to get up to like 100 million degrees to even hope to get fusion to happen. And then you have to have some relatively high pressures to get anything to go off. And the two, um, the, the appeal there is that the fuel is just ludicrously common. Um, it's in the, you know, it's in my coffee right here. It's in whatever you're drinking. It's in you. Um, it's just a form of heavy hydrogen. The sun can burn normal hydrogen, but we can't pull that off. That's kind of a, a cheating trick of being a giant star. But heavy hydrogen is still really common. It's called deuterium. Yeah. Um, the easiest fusion reaction uses heavy hydrogen, and then an even heavier radioactive form called tritium. Okay. Uh, that's what we know. That's what we're going for right now. Because if we can light that one off, then we can get everything else to to 
to occur properly. And we've done it. We know it's possible because if you've ever seen pictures of Bikini Atoll or any yeah. of the H-bombs, that is a um, self-sustaining fusion chain reaction that is occurring. The trick being is we want to do it at a scale where we can make energy and we want to not use fission to trigger it because we, we cheated. We used the most powerful energy source we knew to light off the even more powerful energy source. Well, we want to build the light it off with something that, you know, we don't have to put three kilos of uranium in every time. And uh, that's that's the trick. That's why it's so hard. There's other, it, Once we get it going, though, we can probably do – there's more advanced reactions like just doing pure deuterium, deuterium, or deuterium, helium-3, maybe even proton boron. You hear these buzzwords around. They're more advanced fuels, but we got to get the first one, the easiest one to occur before we go anywhere. Um yeah. And the other part of the appeal being is that there's no radioactive waste left. Well, there's not no radioactive waste. It, you don't get fission fragments, which are the annoying parts of nuclear waste. You'll make the chamber radioactive. You'll make some tritium and other junk like that. But it's vastly lowered. And so, you know, you can. it's pretty obvious to see the appeal there because if we got it to work, it's, uh, it's the ideal energy source. It doesn't come with the baggage of fission. And unlike renewables, it's incredibly energy dense. It's everywhere. The fuel's everywhere. The, you know, we know fusion fuel wars. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Uh, you can dig, you know, you can just open your tap and you get enough fuel. Yeah. Uh, one tub full of seawater has enough deuterium in it to power the entire United States for something like four or five months. <laughs> yeah. So, and that's that's all energy sources. That's not just electricity. That would be like if all the energy in your car and the airplanes, trucks, everything came from fusion. So it's it's nuts. It's that, um, yeah, that, yeah so that's the end the game. Two, yeah, it's the end game. It really is. It's that's why sci-fi always has fusion. Yeah. Um, the two big approaches out there are magnetic confinement and inertial confinement. Magnetic confinement is the tokamaks, these the big donut things that mm-hmm. you see. There's a huge one being built in France right now. There's other twisty versions called stellarators. The general idea being is plasma is crazy hot, like I said, 100 million degrees plus to get fusion to happen. That will destroy any material known to man by by a lot, a lot. like yeah. the hottest you can get something is like tungsten at like forty eight hundred Kelvin. Yeah, well, yeah, that's what only a couple of the magnitude low. That's what a guy so, I, had, I had on the other day. Sorry to interrupt. I, I, I'm terrible at interrupting. I'm already writing down all my. I've I've gotten better. I got a notebook and I write down everything that's sparking in my mind so I don't interrupt. But clearly, I'm already failing that. I had a guy on the other day that worked at a nuclear. Uh, he's a nuclear power plant operator. We talked about fusion, and he was like, "It's not." getting fusion that's hard he's like we have nothing to contain it like he was like it's so yeah sorry keep going no i'm, I'm, yeah, I'm so yeah. magnetic confinement the idea being is that we plasma is excruciatingly conductive the best way to think about plasma is uh, it's like fluid mechanics have you ever taken a fluids class it's uh-huh. a fluid it's a fluid that responds to electric and magnetic fields and so that gives us an, an option we can utilize magnetic fields to try to hold the plasma the problem being is magnetic fields leak. You can't just make like a sealed jar of magnetic fields and plasmas can make their own magnetic fields and there's all these just ludicrous issues that we've been fighting in plasma physics to try to understand magnetic confinement. But they're making a lot of progress. A lot of those magnetic systems have gotten pretty damn good. Mm-hmm. They're just big and expensive. And I'm not the biggest fan of them, but that's more of like a personal machine preference yeah the other big option is inertial confinement okay 
And the idea, that's what we do here in Rochester. And the idea of inertial confinement is there's one way we know fusion works, and that's the bomb. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Goes off by, you set off a tiny uranium or plutonium bomb. Mm-hmm. And it uses all of that radiation pressure and compresses the fusion fuel and lights it off. Mm-hmm. But we know you can just quite literally compress it. It's like a diesel engine. Sure. And it can happen. Yeah. Right? Stars are actually kind of similar to that too. This most of the fusion, or basically all of the fusion, is only happening at the very center of the star, where the pressure is very, very high. So the idea is, what if we just compress it really hard? And in kind of holding similar to an internal combustion engine like a diesel engine, you make everything temporary, so you don't have to control it. You just let it explode. It doesn't matter because you're you didn't give it enough fuel to damage the reactor. And you can have peak temperatures that are way higher than the materials, way, you know, and you can use all sorts of tricks like that. Like your car has a peak temperature in the gasoline, mm-hmm. way higher than the steel can handle, but it's only, you know, it's going like that, up, down, up, down. And so okay. your car, the average temperature is lower. And so the the initial idea there was to, you know, that we had to come up with somewhere to compress it that wasn't an A-bomb. And they started out with what's called a Z pinch, and that's still being done. Um, and that's where you use just a huge current, like millions of amps, and you get this J cross B force where you, if you take E and M, it's like that, squishes in, the magnetic field collapses the plasma, but instability is formed. It's the same magnetic problem as before. Hmm. Then in the 60s, we invented the laser, and everyone went, oh, this is going to be, this is the trick right here. And they, there's a very famous paper, um, supposedly this was talked about even older, but there's a famous paper from John Knuckles talk, outlining the idea of laser-driven fusion. Hmm. Um, as the story goes, it was actually inspired by conversations from like the very beginning in the hydrogen bomb program with Edward Teller, where mm-hmm. he said, I think this laser thing is going to do it, we just got to let it develop. And uh, the idea there is that you can have a pellet of fuel and lasers come in from all sides and they'll ablate the fuel off. So you, you gotta have the fuel in some sort of casing, right? So the way that we make our pellets is we have a little plastic outer shell okay. we freeze hydrogen on the inside, fuel hydrogen. And then we burn off the plastic with the lasers. And if you think about it, that burnt off plastic only has one direction to go, and that's back outwards. And it's really, really hot. And that is exactly like if you had a ton of rockets all the way around the thing. So now you have, in our case, we have 60 lasers. We have 60 rockets going on all sides. Okay. It collapses in at hundreds of kilometers per second. Yeah. And there's a little bit of gaseous fuel in the middle. When all that comes in, it's like a diesel engine from every side. Okay. Presses it up, gets it really, really hot, and bang, it explodes in a uh, small fusion explosion. Okay. So the trick there is we're just we're still understanding some of the instabilities and issues. There's two different ways of laser fusion. Now they're trying to mix magnetic fields, but we're getting close. Both methods are actually they're within about seventy percent of what's needed to actually make this happen, okay. which is pretty exciting. I, I would say within our lifetime we'll see it happen. We'll see a, a, a beginnings of power plants and things like that. We're finally we're no longer in the fusions fifty years away. We're yeah. in the fusion. 10 to 20, depending on money. Yeah. 
yeah, I've, I've heard that quote that says fusion's always 40 years away because that's how long a career is. So you just got to yeah. keep it on the table for 40 years and then you can retire and go, yeah, I don't know. And then the next guys come in and go, ooh, I can get 40 years of a government paycheck. Yeah, fusion's 40 years away. It's like fusion yeah. will always be 40 I mean, years that, away. Sadly, that's there. That, yeah. that is an issue. That's an issue in science and that's especially an issue in fusion. Yeah. And part of the reason that that's there in fusion is – you notice the way that I described that that goes off, I said, oh, it's just like a hydrogen bomb, mm. similar to a hydrogen bomb. Well, a lot of our funding comes from defense applications Absolutely. because we haven't set off a nuclear weapon in 20-odd years, and our bombs are pretty old. Mm. They're mainly from the 60s. Mm. Sure, like to be sure they work, but mm. we have no way to test them. So what we have to do is make sure our models of how a bomb works are really good. The only way to test models is to do experiments. Mm. And yeah. now in the U.S., we're actually upgrading our arsenal. Not, yeah. We're not doing like a full rebuild, but we're like stuff's old. Yeah. It's just like if you were to do if you had like a muscle car, like an old car from like the '60s, and you need to just go through, change out all the seals, do yeah. all this different stuff, the bat. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, we yeah we've got all those. I mean, I think it was at the. I want to say it was at the, either the tail end of the Bush administration or the tail end of the Obama administration. But yeah, there was like a big thing that like no one really talked about. But it was like we like we set aside like a trillion dollars, and it was like we yeah. got to revamp our, our nuclear arsenal. And everyone's like, why do we need to do that? And it's like, dude, these things have been sitting there since like the Kennedy administration. Like, yeah, a lot of them are really really old. The newest ones I think were eighty five or something yeah, like that. It's the, like, would you trust? Like, you know, you think about like a car, would you trust a car from 1985 yeah. to just start? Yeah. And it's, yeah, I mean, and the whole point of the nuclear weapons is like, no one's going to use them. It's the deterrent. But, you yeah. know, if you're, you know, if you're everyone. You need to be you, sure they work. Yeah. For the deterrent you know, happen. if you're China and you're coming up into the world and you're throwing some elbows and you're going, hey, I'm not sure if those, uh, those MX missile systems work. They haven't fired them in 30 years. If there's ever going to be a chink in the armor, that's it. It's, mm -hmm. I mean. How old are the Titan twos? Like, I mean, Ancient. yeah, Ancient. yeah. The Minutemen are. I think those are a little newer, if I'm correct. Minutemen two or three. I, think I don't that, know. I think there's a replacement program happening now. I mean, yeah, that, old. Yeah, yeah. It's they're, they're old as shit. And mm -hmm. yeah, I remember seeing something. It was like nuclear weapons are unique, and then they. It's like they have the. There's some stipulation where it's like they have the always, always, never requirement or something and it's like mm -hmm. they always work well yeah they'll, they'll always be able to be fired and of the ones that are fired so 100% will have to always be able to be fired on the first try 100% of those will always have to work and 0% of those can ever go off by accident it's like yep. we don't have that stipulation for anything else like not JDAMs not grenades not M16s not it's but with these it's, it's an always always never um, and on top of that, you know, if you want to, you look at like the M16, for example, right? Yeah. It's gone through tons of evolutions. Um, now we have this very reliable, good rifle. Yeah. Because we've tested it in the field. We've tested it, modified it, done it. The number of nuclear weapons that have ever been set off, I'm talking like a thousand or two. Yeah. It's... Most of them not even at full yield. Yeah. Yeah. We stopped. I mean, we stopped doing the insane experiments. I want to say, when was the non-proliferation treaty? Was that sixty-three or seventy-three? Uh, the the test ban. So there's been a bunch of treaties. The yeah. newest one that stopped all of the all of the testing 
was in 93, I want to believe. Okay. 93, 94, somewhere in there was the last detonation. Um, and that was because of the test ban treaty. The other treaties were in the 50s, 60s, even into the 70s. There were treaties that limited things. Like we stopped doing above ground testing, I think, in 61. Mm-hmm. So the famous, like, go out to Jackass Flats in Nevada, yeah. set up yeah. a chair and just watch yeah. these yeah. and collectivize. Put the goggles on. Yeah. 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 Some of those old pictures of like, of like the Pentagon elite sitting out there and like rows of chairs with like their suits on with the goggles on. Those look like album covers because they're sitting there and it's just like you just see flash reflections in their goggles. Those are some badass pictures. Well, um, you know that that really helped kick on Vegas, right? Like people would yeah, go to Vegas yeah. specifically to go watch them go off. Yeah, um, I've, 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 I plug it almost. It's become a running joke that it somehow manages to weave its way into every single episode. But Raven Rock by Garrett Graff. It's an awesome book. I think it was the number one seller on Audible last year. I'm trying to get him on the podcast. But it's all about the nuclear bunkers underground. Or, yeah, obviously underground. The entire relocation arc of everything. But it goes through the history of nuclear weapons. And they even talk about, like, yeah, they said in, like, the 50s it was part of the draw. Like, because you'd go to Vegas, right? And so you got all your big city slicking cars, all the women with the huge hair. But, yeah, it used to be a thing where you could kind of start to gauge like the casino and hotel owners could gauge when a test was coming because they'd see like increased con military convoys coming in. They'd see increased like choppers and planes and they'd be like, Oh, there's going to be a test this weekend. And so people, they literally used to be like owners of the huge casinos would be like, Hey, like wake up at like four tomorrow and like look that way. Apparently people used to get up like, you know, cigarettes and brandy, like breakfast and they'd watch and they'd be like, you know, they never knew when obviously because it was all classified, but there'd be like, there's going to be a second sunrise over there and there'd yeah. be a, a flash. There'd be the boom. Then you could, I mean, granted these ones are in the, still like the kilotons, but like, then they see the mushroom cloud rising. I was just like, is that not the most like metal thing ever? <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, I, I gotta be honest. I'm not a fan of the idea of the program testing, but if they were ever oh, going to no, do it, oh, yeah. walk, I'd be out to Nevada. Oh fast. yeah. Oh no, I'm with you. It's, it's horrible for the environment. That being said, <laughs> If there's going to be one, I don't know if you ever look at like the atomic testing videos on YouTube. There's always people that are like, can we just like, can we just void the treaty for one afternoon so we can film this in 8K? <laughs> like, yeah. it's like, can we please get some GoPro, some 60 FPS? Can we please just like, and then, we'll, and then we'll do the ban again. We'll stop doing it. But like, I mean, dude, even somewhere like the Castle Bravo tests, like even with those cameras, it's still awe inspiring. And it's like, oh. Well, that's Castle Bravo was so big. 15 megatons. Yeah. You know, you can find the crater on Google Earth because it cut the island in half. Yeah. Yeah. It was, yeah. Yeah. It's, dude, there's the most badass description ever in um, a book by Annie Jacobson. And I always mention books. I don't read. I listen on Audible. I play video games, but I mute it and I listen on Audible. That's the only way I learn. So, no. But it's it makes me sound smarter. I'm like, I've read this, but no, I'm listening while playing Modern Warfare. But DARPA by Annie Jacobson, she she begins with the Castle Bravo test and um, kind of how everyone was nervous and everything. And there's like, you know, the timer or the announcer and it's like two minutes to zero hour or zero time. And they go up there and they're talking about how all the uh, all like the staff is up on top of the bunker. I think like Ron Gillette or whatever the island was. And they've all got their big goggles on. And it's like, put your goggles on now. And one of the older guys, apparently, one of the senior guys was like, all of a sudden he started cursing and they're like, what? He's like, he forgot his goggles, but there wasn't enough time to go back down to the bunker, get him and come back up. So he either had to go back to the bunker or he just had to turn around. 
but he's really upset because this guy was like 90 and this was in like the 50s and it was like is he gonna be able to see another one he he was i mean he, i don't think he was like i don't think he was like teller or like oolong but he was one of like you know he was a contributor and there was one of the younger guys that was there i don't know maybe your age my age and he was like he was like i like i you know i wasn't one of the contributors to this like i'll see more in my lifetime so he gave him his goggles and um but he knew that he didn't have to go back inside but he knew that he couldn't face it so and this is the most insane description ever of like the kicking off of the thermonuclear but i don't know castle bravo wasn't the first one but still it, it, was, it wasn't the first one no, but it was one of them one of it was the big boy it was 15 megatons it wasn't supposed to be but so he talks about he talks about turning around and just the imagery is insane so he says like lined up on either side you know as far as you can see it's like 50 on each side there are all these scientists right all all the white coats, the military generals, the four stars, you know, it's just the whole, it's like Dr. Strangelow. And they've all got their, their black goggles on. And he goes, so while they were watching the hydrogen bomb go off, I was watching them watch the hydrogen bomb go off. And I guess, what is it, the teller light or the whatever it was, it temporarily... It was teller light. He goes, I couldn't, he goes, for a couple, maybe as a maybe it felt like a couple seconds maybe it was a couple seconds i think it was only like a brief but he goes i looked both ways and i could still see all their clothes but he goes they were just skeletons i couldn't see skin or muscle i was just looking at skeletons so he goes i'm looking both ways and i'm just looking at these rows of skeletons and teeth and like you know sockets in the jaws and they're all wearing goggles and like and they're all wearing like white coats and and i was just like is that not the most insane like imagery like is that that's some shit straight out of hollywood that's like a quentin tarantino movie or like you know it's like just imagine looking it's just like and all you see like the teeth and like the no hair but it's just goggles and there's in in each in each lens he could just see castle bravo rising and i was like dude that is like <laughs> if that was an opening to a movie you'd be like that's too fantastic like, i don't believe that yeah. but yeah it's i don't know where i was going with that but um have you have you ever read dark sun by richard m rhodes he's it's about I the hydrogen bomb it, but i haven't read it uh, uh, again audible i don't actually read or listen. yeah a lot a lot of my stuff is i've read the so i'll give you some recommendations yeah please do i was gonna ask you that actually I was, that's yeah. where i was leading into uh, i recommend the um the los alamos primer okay. or another option would just be the, the making of the atomic bomb i think it's by rhodes i've, I've read that yeah uh, the Los Alamos Primer, he does an opening for it, but he did he didn't write it. It was one of the Los Alamos guys wrote it. Yeah. Um, it was what they would hand everyone when they'd show up because no one came with any knowledge of what was going on. It was just these running notes of what they had figured out and what they thought was possible. Holy shit. Uh, and then just like weird insight into like, this is what it was like. Yeah. And then another yeah. really good one um, is the Memoirs of Edward Teller. Okay. Which are his his memoirs right before he died, and he talked about everything that he was part of, and, his, and it's just interesting because he was a very complex man. Yeah, he, he had a, and it, he's got an interesting interesting um, kind of collective memory in our in our culture. Mm. And learning more about where he came from really kind of drives home why he was the way he was. Yeah, because apparently he grew up. He was born in Hungary, yeah. Austria, yeah. when World War One started, and they were monarchists. And then they lost the war. They became communists, 
Then he moved to Germany and he lived under fascism and then came to America and he was Jewish. His yeah. family was persecuted under both the communists and the fascists. And it really kind of drives home why he was so freaked out about the USSR. Yeah. Why they scared so badly. Yeah. It's... Because he, he knew we had killed the, you know, we killed the Nazis. He was there for that. But the commies were still there. And that really, I think that fe- because he experienced that at such a formative age, I think he was like 16 when yeah. his dad's business was taken from him or something like that. Like it, yeah. was, it was all kind of nuts. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that was just in his mind forever. Yeah, he, he kind of gets shit on as being the father of the H-bomb and, you know, you know made fun of in Dr. Strangelove. And it's, everyone's like, oh, who's this, you know, you know Dr. Tala, you know, of course. He, but it's, yeah, uh, Annie Jake has been talked about that in DARPA. She was like, he grew up, like, seeing firsthand what happened. And so when he came to the U.S., the reason why he never slowed down and the reason why when, you know, Oppenheimer was like, we don't need anything past the fission bomb, like, we don't need anything more than the kilotons, that's why Teller was like, no, we need this, not because we're going to use it, but because if we don't have it and they do have it, they will use it. And he was like, and trust me, there's nothing that they won't use. The only reason they haven't used it is because they don't have it yet. He was like, yeah. I've seen firsthand. So where all of us were like, you know, no, it's, you know, you know, we that we don't know anything other than America. He was like, you don't realize he like he was like, yeah. this is like an island fantasy. What's here? And he's like, and it has to be protected with the biggest sword possible. And the biggest sword, he was like, is hydrogen bombs. And he was like, yeah, so it's, yeah, you have to know his history and where it came from to understand his, you know, admittedly yeah, obsession. But because he, You're right, he does get painted as very bloodthirsty, but he's got some fun insight on Oppenheimer and some of the other guys where they were also a bit bloodthirsty at yeah. once. Like, was very against dropping the bombs on Japan. Yeah. He do a show. He... He, he was very he pushed really hard to either develop um air bursting which we had not yet figured out mm-hmm. but he said take the time just develop it scare the shit out of them detonate the thing over tokyo mm. break all their windows terrify the emperor or um he said let's bring them out to an island and let's yeah. just blow an island away yeah because he, he felt that just using it was um a less ethical move than yeah. showing them giving yeah. them that chance to surrender yeah which is kind of funny coming from this supposedly very yeah, blood. Exactly. No, Teller was not like that. Well, <laughs> Teller did have some comical ideas. I think it was, I forget the names of them, but he had the code name for these two bombs he was developing that even the Air the Force turned. Backyard bomb. Yeah, the backyard bomb, 10 gigatons. But he, I didn't know this, his code names for them were actually the Latin names for um, ancient sundials. <laughs> because because everything would cast the light from it and i was just like that's so fucking badass he's like why are these names he's like well it's the backyard bomb like why he's like you you set it off here it'll take out beijing (laughs) like it was yeah he actually apparently i only found this out rather recently but he apparently pushed at the end of the cold war to have u.s and soviet scientists get together because um right around then there was a comet that hit Jupiter or something like that. Anyways, it was kind of in everyone's mind. The Levy idea Shoemaker like, 9. Yeah. And he said, hey, let's get everyone together. All these you know, nuclear scientists will give the Soviet guys a job by having them work with our guys to develop a giant um, space safety bomb, basically. The idea being like you can deflect huge things with a big nuclear bomb 
you just need to have a big enough one. Because hmm. right now, all of the, the asteroid deflection projects, they do assume, a lot of them do assume nuclear weapons, but they still need quite a lot of um, warning because the nukes aren't all that big. Hmm. And when you're talking about a rock the size of, you know, Manhattan, yeah. a lot to move, like a nuke is nothing. That's always the funny thing to me about nukes is they're both under and overplayed in how powerful they are. Yeah. You know, there, there's this whole thing of, like, everyone assumes a nuke is just end-all, be-all, and that's not true. Yeah. They're, you know, nature has got us beat handily. Yeah. No. No argument. Yeah. You, know, no. you look like the Yellowstone super volcano. It's like, yeah. nukes are not. Yeah, Yellow, not. Yellowstone is like, LOL. Like, yeah. Like, oh, you got Zarbombo? Cool. Yeah, it's, that's another thing I've heard. It's like, yeah, the idea of shooting up, like, a like a 500 megaton nuke and an asteroid they're like all you're doing is turning a rifle bullet into a shotgun <laughs> like, well the point being is to not um don't blow it up you know that's the one thing that uh, armageddon got wrong yeah you actually set the nuke off nearby and ablate yeah. and push on it yeah push it the and other way yeah. whole, i don't know if you've ever heard of the project orion but there was yeah, a whole thing about yeah using, yeah basically that yeah you need to do that to an asteroid yeah yeah project orion was insane what about um I was gonna say, do you know, ever heard of Project? Uh, I don't know how to pronounce it. Daedalus. Daedalus. Yes, the the later version <laughs> yeah. out of uh, the British Interplanetary Society yeah. to to make an interstellar based on ICF, inertial yeah. confinement fusion. Yeah, um, they they wanted that thing to get going to, I think, fourteen percent the speed of light. You could do it. Yeah, that's that's within the capability of fusion. Um, their ignition scheme wouldn't work. We yeah. now know that the way that they were going to make the fusion reactions happen. Uh, but otherwise, yeah, it would, it would have done it. That's yeah. that's kind of the beauty of fusion is that it's another advantage it has over fission is that the amount of energy released per unit mass is higher, and the particles that come out, the exhaust, if mm. you think about a rocket, are faster. Mm. And that is how you make rockets go fast is high exhaust velocity. Yeah. The, the higher the exhaust velocity, the faster you can end up going. If I remember right, you can do something about if you use a lot of fuel. You know, if you if you had a nuclear rocket with roughly the same fuel ratio as a chemical rocket, um, you would be looking at something like twice the exhaust fo- twice the exhaust velocity that you could reach. Yeah. So the fusion particles are coming out 7-ish percent speed of light, then you can push up to 14. <sighs> hey, dude, I had a I had a guy on from uh, uh, from JPL and he was he's making something called MemeSat. It's just going to be a CubeSat that just beams back memes. <laughs> but um <laughs> Yeah, but he and I got talking, and we're like, we're just talking about like the fastest possible speeds. We're talking about like Voyager, and then we were looking up other like Helios two. I think got to a hundred and and he kept chastising me because he's like, you're you're using American units like in space we use metric. It's like so so please excuse me, but I was like yeah. So we looked up Helios two got to like one hundred and fifty thousand miles an hour. That was in like the Mm seventies, and um, and Voyager two I think is going thirty eight thousand miles an hour. And then the Parker Solar Probe, which I guess we launched at the sun, that one's going like 450. But so we started talking about like, what if, what if we just somehow, we just got some like stupid money, just like had like a billion dollars to throw away. We didn't have any, we weren't accountable to any space agency or private industry where it's like, there has to be a purpose to what you're doing. You know, SpaceX, it's like, how fast can you make it go? Exactly. So we started talking like, well, what would you do? We're like, let's say. So we said that there is no destination, so we don't have to worry about what well, has to go in that direction. It doesn't even have to be in the plane of the solar system. It can go wherever. 
Mm-hmm. So slingshot it around as many planets as you can. And then the actual satellite itself, it would just be, we would strip it of everything except a radio beacon powered by like a nuclear power plant reactor. So it never died. A little, little RTG, a chunk of plutonium. Little, yeah, literally it would just, just so it's, and it would just send back its beacon. It just beep beep, and we could detect its distance just by using like like the you know like the Doppler effect. Would be it. That's how far away mm-hmm. it is. So don't we don't need to worry about because like Voyager, they're slowly shutting down if they haven't already. Like they've been over the decades, they've shut down this system and shut down that system. And well, yeah, she's running out of fuel. She's exactly. Been going for forty years. Yeah, yeah. It's, been going, it's, it's almost been going for fifty years, seventy-two. So it's. We talked about we're like all right well what we would do is we would put like yeah we put like a plutonium reactor on it and it would just have a radio beacon super high powered but just nothing else no no cameras no no none of that all that other instrumentation and we'd strip everything else and it would have a giant ion thruster on it and we would we've been we've been talking about like all right so we looked up like the newest xenon ion thrusters apparently they can get they can get something insane like 48,000 hours of fire time. So, but we looked up that the, the reason why they eventually stop is because the, um, like the grid, whatever that, that they have some capital erodes, right? Yeah. It, it erodes. And they said, so it's not the actual like Xenon it's, it's cause Xenon's, I mean, compared to like kerosene, it's light. Right. So we're like, what if you did a staged Xenon thruster where you had one that burned for 48,000 hours and then you booted it fired the next one you had three of them and at the very tip was just was just this radio beacon how fast do you think we could get it if we just just slingshot and its sole purpose was speed we it's not like because you know when you bring up speed they're like well it's going to take still going to take you forty thousand years to get to alpha centauri we're not going to alpha centauri it's just speed there is no destination and i mean the way to go would be to use some sort of like fusion reactor wouldn't it it would you would actually use direct fusion exhaust because okay. the exhaust from fusion is faster than the exhaust from an ion drive. Yeah, because ion is is what I think seventy kilometers a second is how or maybe ninety. Yeah. I think it's ninety kilometers a second. How fast fusion? How, how fast is fusion? Low. Hold on, you're breaking up. You there, Garrett? One other fun one for you. I don't know if you've ever heard of the nuclear potato gun that happened at Los Alamos. Is that the 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 manhole lid? Yep. Yeah. How fast did that? Yeah. Explain that for people listening. No. Okay. So they were trying. They were starting to do the first ever underground tests, and the idea being is you dig a hole down into a big cavern, and you want to be able to drop stuff in because we yep. don't just set these bombs off and go, "Wow, it happened." You know, we want to have diagnostics. We want to know how well it happened blah 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 there's a bunch of physics you, we even learned a lot of physics out of setting those bombs off the whole essentially the whole field of high energy density physics came out of that which is studying matter at extreme states hmm. like at the center of the earth center of stars things like that and uh, so they have this big ass hole and they don't want all the radioactive exhaust to come out so they put a big manhole cover on it it's huge i think it's like 20 tons of steel and the idea was that, well, you know, we did the rough math and it won't throw the cover off. Their only concern was that it might go like this and leak. So they put a high-speed camera on it to look for any leakage. And they set the nuke off and the camera, it was really, really fast camera. One frame caught that thing leaving. 
And so the estimates were just ludicrous speeds, but it was far beyond escape velocity. Uh, they think it just actually turned into plasma and dispersed in the air. But if not, it's, uh, it is the fastest man-made object by quite a lot. Yeah. It handily outruns the Parker Solar Probe. Oh, yeah. No, I read something that, yeah, that said it would have been going like Mach 200,000 or something. <laughs> Like, yeah, it's, it's, not, a, it's not even in the realm of like anything that we can like relate to it's like and that drives home the the incredible capability of something like project orion or dadless where you you really directly use the nuclear energy not like the current nuclear rockets that are being researched where you use a reactor you heat up working fluid and run it out the back those are great those are going to probably be what takes us to mars mm. but you know you compare that to directly using the nuclear energy and it's just it goes from well, it's faster than what we currently use, but still pretty crappy to Star Trek crap. Jesus. Jesus. So, so what, so the, the, the meme, the meme set, not the cube set, but the one that we want to just go where nothing has gone before. What would you use fusion for that? Oh, if you want me to make the absolute fastest thing. Just absolute fastest, but we, we can't, we want it. We want it to be somewhat realistic because we can't just be like, oh, unlimited oh, price see, tag. I wouldn't use Fusion because we're we're not there yet. Yeah, I not. would just I would use Project Orion. Yeah, I would sell nukes behind the thing. Yeah, but I don't think so. But like, we couldn't get that. Like, because we couldn't get access to that. We couldn't get oh, I, no. just some assholes yeah. like us. We couldn't it's get not it. accountable to anyone. So I'm yeah. gonna you know yeah. assume and get the nukes. Yeah. No. Yeah. See, if there was like truly no, but the thing is, is like I'm kind of looking at this as like. I wonder if it could be done. I wonder if it could be like a crowdfunded meme set. If if we did get the money somehow over twenty years, we'd never get the plutonium. We would, the yeah, we would never. So we couldn't use because that would just be. It wouldn't matter how much money you had if you you're not a government body. There's if you're you not don't a nation. You have to be a government body to get it, but you do have to jump through all the hoops. And especially in the Western world right now, nuclear is not an easy thing to get through. Yeah, no one's um, gonna give me nuclear weapons uh, another option would be beam propulsion like with the uh the star launch is it star launch i can't remember the, the project where they're talking about making a huge laser to push these little um nano satellites out to um, alpha centauri that's a very viable option really um really it totally works you just need a gigantic laser now i think they're going to run into problems not with laser tech laser tech is very mature at this point the problem is no government's going to be a fan of some private company having a hundred gigawatt laser. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's very quickly. You become a world power with that. Well, let me put it this way. The Navy's current most powerful laser that they have on a ship is 150 kilowatts. Jeez. So you go, you know, you got to go up to hundreds of gigawatts before this becomes viable. Okay. That is, that is a lot more than shooting airplanes out of the sky. That's like melt ships, burn, <laughs> bunkers sci-fi sort of okay stuff. yeah so that's not doable either um <laughs> so you mentioned earlier i wrote this down you mentioned the z pinch is that what's used by is that the z machine yes that is the sandia z machine i just um, i always remember that image from the guinness book of world records yeah she's she's a beauty yeah uh, so yeah i guess i'll go over yeah. a, a little bit of the z machine and the inertial confinement in, in the in the u.s so the u.s leads in inertial confinement by a lot, and it's part—it's primarily because of our um, national security interests. But it does mean that 
there's a good chance that if we do get fusion to ignite with inertial confinement, it'll happen here. There's actually an excellent chance. I think the only other option might be China. Uh, no one else is anywhere near. And the three big facilities we have are here in Rochester at the um, Laboratory for Laser Energetics, which is just an enormous university lab. Hmm. Uh, really, when you go into it, it looks like a national lab. Like if, if I didn't tell you it was Department of Ener- it wasn't a Department of Energy lab, you would just assume it is. Yeah. Uh, where we have two huge lasers, one of which is set up to do sixty beam compression. It's called Omega. It does. Um, it can do essentially any version of inertial confinement. We even have a way to bring magnetic fields in, which is kind of cool. And then its uh, sister is Omega Extended Performance, which are four very large beams. They're much more powerful than Omega's, and they do other phys- other compression experiments. And they can one of them can be piped in to essentially act as a heater. Okay. With the idea being that you compress, but we're the problem in inertial confinement. It's really fun. So magnetic confinement has no problem with temperature. They'll easily drive the temperatures up hot enough for fusion ignition. They can't get the densities high enough. Hmm. In inertial confinement, we can get the density fine, easy. We've outran the density in the center of the sun at this point. We can't get the temperature high enough. Yeah. And so the idea with fast ignition was, well, what if we compress and we bring one more extra laser in? And this laser is different. It's not meant to compress. It's very fast, and it's meant to just add some extra oomph, you know? Yeah. A little like a spark plug, yeah. Um, and that's that's the Omega facility or the Laboratory for Laser Energetics facility. Um, the Z machine is in Sandia National Lab at down in New Mexico. Mm-hmm. It's a mega amp, it's 26 mega amps or so millions of amps, um, Z pinch, and it just drives lots of current straight down. The new thing that they do is called Maglif. And that's where they set a magnet, like a normal magnet, um, already. The fuel's in there. Nothing's lit. They heat it with the laser so it gets cold by plasma physics standards, but Mm -hmm. it is plasma at this point because the fuel doesn't start as plasma. And the magnetic field gets locked in. And quite literally, it's like it's frozen. And then they drop the Z compression. And this helps mitigate the instabilities I talked about there's these terrible magnetic instabilities and the Z pinch they're very classic they're a classic plasma physics problem uh, called sausage and kink those are the two big ones where it quite literally looks like a bunch of sausages rather than this tube of plasma that should be linear and just easy compress it's like squish 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 and then kink is where the squishes bend okay and that sucks energy from the machine with this maglift scheme, they're doing a lot better. They're making incredible strides. And I, I have a lot of hope for Z-Pinch. I think that one's got a lot of potential. And then the final facility is the National Ignition Facility down in uh, California, Barnes Livermore Laboratories. It is a two megajoule laser. So Omega here is only 30 kilojoules. NIF's a tish bit bigger. Yeah. Uh, largest laser in the world by a lot. Like easily the largest laser in the world. And they're only set up to do what's called indirect drive. So we have here with Omega, we can do direct, where we just directly burn the capsule, or we can do indirect, where we put the capsule in this little um, hole ROM. It's a little tube, um, basically an oven. Hmm. The idea being is that lasers are not actually smooth. If you ever look at the beam spot of a laser, there's all these little hot spots where it's 
more powerful there than there, and that drives um, the the compression to not be equal. So you can think about like if you were squishing Jello with your hands, you would have spots leak out, and that's mm. bad. Mm. What is smooth is the way that a bomb does it, which is with X-ray drive. The the bomb just literally heats up everything around the fusion fuel, and then X-rays come off because it's so hot. The X-rays ablate the fusion fuel on an H bomb, and that compresses it, and that's smooth. Yeah, that's the three hundred and sixty degree rocket you were talking about. Yeah, yeah, similar. So for indirect drive on NIF, they have this tube where the fuel, the little pellets inside this tube of gold. And they bring the lasers in from two sides and they hit all along the tube, heat the whole tube up to thousands, hundreds, maybe million degrees. I don't know, really hot, really hot. It emits a lot of x-rays and then the x-rays ablate the little um, fuel pellet rather than the laser directly. Okay. That is very similar to how a bomb does it. And so that's why NIF does it that way is for it's for stability reasons. At the time when it was built, it looked like it was the best option. Now we're not so sure, but also it really does help with the national security um, initiatives. It, mm. it really does help us study how an H-bomb works and make sure we understand it. Mm. There's a talk now of reconfiguring NIF to do direct drive because here in Rochester, we've made incredible strides at direct drive uh, we've increased our fusion yield by something like a factor of 10 or 20 in the past couple of years by Jesus just understanding Christ. how to do it better. Jesus Christ. So it's, yeah, you know, there's, there's, like I said, there's hope. NIF, NIF is very interesting because NIF is the first fusion experiment to have seen multiplication, which means one fusion reaction helped make another one happen. Oh. Okay. So we're, we're like, on the cusp we're on this annoying point of like we know we're so close during the one yard line yeah on the one yard line basically and that's why there's there's this whole push of like what can we do at nif to make it happen because nif, yeah, what, nif will never do? be a power plant it will never never work for that it's got so many problems it can only shoot three times a day it breaks itself all the time all sorts of issues but if we can just study a burning plasma in a lab hmm. it's gold yeah it'll everyone it doesn't matter magnetic inertial it will just be helpful to understand what's happening so so is that you said the multiplication so is that is that a huge is that a huge milestone in fusion i guess energy research multiple so, i mean that's that's kind of like full circle it's kind of like coming back to like uh you know chain reaction like it uh, is. That's yeah, the, the radioactive pile yeah just like with fission. Yeah, can we get um, one, two, four? Yeah, it's... Yeah, it, it's kind of the Chicago pile moment. Yeah, yeah. It, It's happened, it's just not happened. It wasn't a cell, it was like a subcritical chain mm. reaction. It's like we saw the chain, we mm. know it's doing more than just the energy put in would make happen. Yeah. But it's not, Died out. it hasn't ran away. And that's, that's actually kind of the beauty of inertial confinement is we want it to run away. Unlike in fission or in some of the magnetic schemes where you need to hold it, you need, you want to keep a, um, you know, a steady chain reaction In inertial, we don't care. We yeah. want it to burn all the fuel. Sure. Yeah. That's great. Go for it. Yeah. It's... We only give you, I mean, our fuel pellets. So at Omega, our fuel pellets are less than a millimeter in size. Oh, Jesus. There's so little fuel in there. NIF's fuel pellets are only one millimeter. But the idea being is that one millimeter fuel pellet, if it was actually ignited, would release something like two, three megajoules of energy. Jesus Christ. 
So is there is there a way, let's just entertain this stupid idea. Is there a way in an ideal world where we could, so you talked about like not wanting to use a bomb to set off fusion because that's what, so with fission we take, I don't know what, I know the very first one it was we had specially machined explosives all around it that's still how it works that was for yeah for oh forget for for fission because yeah that's there's there's gun type and implosion type and then with the first the first h-bomb i think that was ivy mike that was the where it was just like it was an a-bomb yeah with a tube of like yeah like deuterium or something i think there's some tritium in it and it was like Literally, we're using an A bomb as a primer. <laughs> like yeah, that's actually how all H bombs function. Yeah, they, they all have an A bomb in them, and the A bomb is the same. You know, special explosives and everything. So, so I, I'm guessing what you're getting at is, can we set it off with explosives? Yeah, can we get to that point? So, there's a theory about there are theories about how to do that. The issue being is that chemical explosives just don't seem to have the energy density. Okay. Uh, there's there are some theories about uh, what are called super explosives that might allow us to pull this off, but nothing has shown up right now. And that's actually why the lasers are so key or the, the Z pinch are so key for this in that a laser can take, you know, all of this energy. So if we're going to talk about like an Omega laser beam, right? Each beam is 500 joules. It takes that 500 joules and it puts it down into an area that is something like one micron in diameter. That's a very high energy density. Yeah. Chemical explosives just don't have the capability to do that. Mm. On top of that, they'll still run into the heating issue. Mm. But that's not to say it's not possible. Like, who knows? Maybe someone comes up with something in the future. Personally, I hope not. Because then that would give you pure fusion weapons. Mm. It would be much harder to control. The main way that arms control happens right now is preventing people from getting the plutonium or uranium yeah. needed. Yeah. Fusion fuel is a little bit easier to get hold of. Yeah. And so I'd rather that not ever occur. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Personally. Um, what about one thing I've looked up before is that I was watching. Do you ever watch the slow mo guys on YouTube? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they got some badass videos. And uh, that's where I've actually learned like what a shape charge was because I'd always heard it before, but then I saw it and they did like a test of the shape, like a non-shape charge versus like a like a vault door, and then a shape charge was a vault door. The vault door, I mean, it literally just pokes through it like a like mm-hmm. a fucking knife through butter, just nothing because it's all concentrated. Yeah. Um. But yeah. Yeah. Let, let me know when when uh when you gotta go because uh, like I said I'll, I'll keep talking forever. Um. And so then I started looking up like. What, what about a nuclear shape charge and something called the cas was it casaba casaba howitzer would yep. you use that for fusion would that work well i mean you already have the nuclear bomb so yes it would of course work yeah um <laughs> yeah so there are some kind of wild ideas involving shape nuclear shape charges and fusion and uh there's some pretty interesting stuff involving making like detonation waves and things like that where you could actually make a cassava howitzer with a pretty because it's it's shaped like it's still pretty like boom Mm -hmm. from you know declassified stuff we don't really know there were tests done the army knows but um there's a there's some very interesting papers specifically from a guy with the last name or the name of friedhart vinterberg Uh who talked about setting off um a deuterium burn wave 
and making what he calls pencil bombs for mining. And they would actually have much more of like, okay, mm, rather than shotgun, yeah. which is wild. <laughs> was, was like, how do you say? It? Is it ca- cassava? 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 I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, it's a weird one. C a s a b a. Could you? Was that? Do you think that's what we would have used for SDI Star Wars? Should it was part of it. There was really? there was a lot of things in Star Wars that were all planned to be tested, including bomb pumped X-ray lasers, um, uh, Kessaba howitzers. Uh, there was one where they would do that. And they would have these basically like tungsten shotgun pellets at the end of it. Um, huge chemical lasers, huge um, particle beams. I mean, there was a lot of very cool stuff that was talked about for that and a lot of it tested. And a lot of those test machines are actually now research machines. I personally worked with stuff from the Star Wars project that we're now using for research, which is pretty cool. That's insane. Kind of wild. I mean, it was like, it was a weird project. There was a lot of questions about if it was the right thing to do. But from a scientist perspective, it's like, we could do a little more Star Wars. Yeah. We could inch a couple. Yeah. We'll revive Reagan. Now there's something else I remember reading like years and years ago. But I remember thinking, I was like, "This, this shit seems like science fiction. But I think it was called like the Shiva Star. Oh, that was a big, um, a big pulse power system that I, I think it's still at Los Alamos. Yeah, I remember reading it, and it was I, I thought it was story. a typo, but they're like, yeah, no, it shoot balls of plasma. Oh, Marauder. Marauder, yeah. This yeah, is that yeah. SDI That's one that gets brought up quite a lot. So me personally, it's pet peeve. Of, plasma weapons are a pet peeve of mine because okay. I've studied a lot of plasma physics. Okay. Plasma, plasma is projecting plasma is kind of a bad idea unless all you want to do is cause electronics damage, which is the main thing Marauder did. Um, the problem with that is plasma at its core is hot gas, hmm. so its density is low, and it doesn't transfer its thermal energy all that effectively. So you just imagine if I threw a ball of gas at you, it would go poof. And it wouldn't do all that much. Now, the electronics damage, plasma can basically make an EMP on target, mm. is pretty cool. But the better way to use plasma as a weapon is to bring the plasma or make, make the plasma on site, a.k.a. a nuke or a laser. Uh, but Marauder was kind of neat in that they did mess around with self-stabilized Spiromax and see how they launch. And, yeah. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of very fun stuff that actually might have some applications for fusion there's now a group doing what are essentially marauder guns all pointed inwards at each other. <laughs> it's some fucking mad scientist shit yeah it's, it's pretty cool it's it's uh it's this new area called inertial or yeah magneto inertial fusion which mm-hmm. the idea being is that inertial's had its problems magneto's had their problem mag- magnetic confinements had their problems maybe we can get something by mixing them okay and so that's what they're they, that's where like all the hot new work is. Hmm. Um, all right. Anyway, yeah. I need to go. Okay. All right. I'll, okay. Do we, will you do another episode sometime? Yeah. Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. Yeah, dude. I've got yeah. I've literally got a page of questions written down. All right. All right. Yeah. I'll let you go. I'll save them for the next one, dude. Let's definitely do another one because this was this was this was awesome. Like instead of having to like scroll through all the Wikipedia pages, I'm just sitting here with a with an actual fusion scientist. Perfect. You're entertaining my, my stupid well, monkey brain. In, in, tra- in training right now, I'll, I'll only claim nuclear engineer for the moment. 
Either way, it's light years above me, man. I failed pre-calculus three times. All right, so you, you're, it's, <laughs> this is good enough. <laughs> all right, man. Hey, stay, stay safe out there. Keep isolating, and um, yeah, if coronavirus doesn't kill us all, maybe there'll be a, a utopia powered by a cold fusion. Who knows? But <laughs> all right, dog. Yeah. Stay all right. safe, man. Peace. Yeah.